I want to talk this morning um, uh, about something that I think it's important we grasp always, but especially in these days. Uh, and that is this, um, uh, that God is a faithful God, that God is a promise-making God, and he is also a promise-keeping God. And that that's always important that we understand that. But in these days, with all that's going on in our world, um, globally, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I can't, almost can't bear to watch the news. <clears throat> you know, just the, the sight of what's going on in Ukraine is heartbreaking. It's almost like, I want to know, but I don't want to know. And, and the, the whole situation is, is, is incredibly sad. And also incredibly worrying uh, for uh, the future of our world and for our continent especially. Uh, then we've had what we've had in the last two years with COVID and the number of people that we all know who have suffered, who have struggled, um, who have, um, uh, for whom it's, it's affected them in, in, in real ways. Uh, then, I don't know about you, but uh, two days ago, um, I had um, uh, an email from my gas and electricity provider telling me the happy news that from the 1st of April, uh, I'm going to be charged £6,500 a month for my gas and electricity, or something like that. Um, and that uh, it's going up. And, and then uh, on top of that, there's all the personal things that many of us uh, have struggled with, uh, disappointments in life that come to all of us. Uh, there's the whole global phenomenon of of, of, of what, what we're doing to our planet and uh, the effects of that. We could go on and on and on. And it can be very easy as individuals and as a community to start to live in disappointment and to start to live in despair and to start to live as, as if the future of the human race depends on the human race. And the good news is, it doesn't. It doesn't. Here's a little secret that you might want to know. Jesus Christ is still on the throne. He is the Lord. He is the King. He is the Mighty One. And that will not change. And He knows what He's doing. He doesn't cause the sin of human beings. That's our choice. That's what we do. But God still works all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his, pur um, to his purpose. Uh, I'm going to ask, I'm going to do it now. Can we just put up um, the first song that we sang, um, if we can? Um, just, this is the first song we sang in worship. You say, mountains can move by faith. Scroll. You say, even the dead can be raised. Scroll. You say you're mighty and strong to save. Scroll. You say you are the only way. Scroll. We believe, we believe. We sang that. Did we mean it? Do we really believe those truths? Then, scroll. Our God, awesome is he. Scroll. And he reigns with power and authority. Scroll. In heaven, on earth, his praise will be heard. Scroll. Lift him up, lift him up, lift him up. Scroll. You are able to do all things. Now just don't scroll. Pause. 
you are able to do all things. We could do a week's conference just on that line. Do we believe it? He is able to do all things. Scroll. You are alive and at work in me. Scroll. We believe. We believe. Our God is a promise-making God. I want to ask you, how many of you, you know that God has given you a promise, that God has spoken to you and promised you uh, about something that he wants to do in your life? Just put your hand up. All right, that's probably a quarter. That's probably a quarter. And some of you that you've put your hand up, you, you could say you've got a testimony that he's done it. Others of you, um, um, you're still waiting. And he promised, but it, you haven't seen it yet. For those of you for whom you're not, you're not aware that God has given you a promise, I want to tell you, and I need to tell you, he has. He's given you loads of them. Loads of them. They're all in the book. They're all in here. This is the book of promises. And if you want to know what some of them are, all you have to do, if you want to do it the quick way, the cheat way, the 21st century way, and I am a 20th century human being, the cheat way is to Google the promises of God in the Bible. The other way is to read the flipping book. But if you're not going to do that, then Google. There are thousands of them. There are thousands of promises that he has made to his people. And loads of the promises that he made to Israel, that he made to his people, that he made to his disciples, we can say for ourselves. Now, we, we've, got to, um, we've got to put that through a slight grid of common sense. So when, when the Lord said, um, to Abraham, I will give you the land of Canaan as your inheritance. Uh, it doesn't work if I then claim that and say, um, the Lord has given me, uh, promised me Essex as my inheritance. You know, it, it, it doesn't quite follow. I don't think, not that I want Essex as my inheritance for a moment. Hertfordshire, yes. Bedfordshire, yes. But who would want Essex as their inheritance? And you see what I've done there? I've moved on from Hemel Hempstead. Essex is now the enemy. And, and, and it's, it is kind of, you, you know, we, we, we have to put it in, in some sort of context. Uh, but actually, God has made promises again and again and again. And we are meant to be the people of promise the people who live in the promises of God. That's what gives us hope in times of trouble. That's what we put our faith in when, they, when we are tempted to despair. God says, look up, listen to my voice. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's how it works. It's, it's the word of God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Uh, soak it up, live in it, live in it. Um, and I just want to look at three things. Now I'm going to tell you, here's my three points, and I'm going to tell them to you, uh, because after the first service, uh, my critic in the front row um, 
said, you know what, I know you had three points in your head, but they were a bit fuzzy and they didn't really come out right. So because they're not going to come out right, and they're a bit, I'm going to tell you what the aim is. Point number one, point number one, um, he, he is a promise-making God, but not just a promise-making God. He is a promise-keeping God. He keeps his promises, every single one of them. I'm going to elaborate on that. Point two, the gap between the promise and the fulfillment is usually a while. Sometimes it's been known to be as long as 40 years. Talk to Moses. It, it, it can be a while between the promise and the fulfillment, but God is at work in that time. And I want to talk about what it is he's doing. Uh, number three, we need in the gap between the promise and the fulfillment to live in the promises when it can be so easy to jettison them and to say it's not working out. I'll, I'll live and I'll walk in disappointment. That's an opportunity to exercise our faith muscles and to live in the promises of God. Number one, so that's the plan, okay? Here comes all the hazy stuff. Number one, um, the promise-making God is the promise-keeping God. It's not, it's not that we trust the promises, it's that we trust the promiser because he is faithful. He is always faithful. Now, when, when I was a kid, my dear dad, um, lots of good things, but we've all got faults and we've all got problems and that, and as we don't do. Um, he was great at making me promises when I was a child and hopeless at keeping them. You know, I had so many, and after a while, in order to protect myself, in order to not be disappointed, whenever he made a promise, I would say to myself in a slightly cynical way, don't get your hopes up. He's going to forget. It's not going to happen. And all of that. Well, God is not like my dad was. Everything he promises, he does. Everything he promises, he does. I want, I want to look um, at Abraham mainly, but also a few other characters in the Old Testament. Um, I, this isn't going to be that long. Don't worry. I finished early the first service. Um, didn't I? Yeah which is more than you did last week. But no one cheers me. <laughs> Went on and it doesn't matter. I don't care. I'll plant a new church. <laughs> Come and join that. Be so much better than... Sorry, I was just moaning there to myself. Um, what the heck was I saying? Abraham, Abraham, the story of Abraham is a flipping amazing story. For those of you that don't know it, you can find it in Genesis. It begins in chapter 12. And God comes to a, a, just an ordinary guy called Abraham, as his name was at the time. And he makes promises to him. And he says to Abraham, I'll call him Abraham, <coughs> um, uh, leave your country Leave your place where you are. Leave your family. Leave everything. And go to a place I will show you. You don't know what that place is. I'm asking you to trust me. And as you go, if you go, I will give you the land. 
and I will give you descendants, I will give you offspring. And through your offspring, through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now that is a grandiose promise. You know, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And Abraham went, he believed God, and he went to the land, he went to the land of Canaan. And, um, and actually one of the things that I just find that is amazing is when God said to him, the land of Canaan was at that time occupied by Canaanites. And it actually says um, that when, uh, when Abraham arrived there, he built an altar to the Lord. He built an altar of praise when the Canaanites inhabited the land. Do we build altars to the Lord based on his promises even before we have seen the fulfillment of the promise? So he arrives in Canaan and the promise is that he will have a son. He will have a son from his wife, Sarah, but a son doesn't come and there's years, there's years. And then we read this in uh, Genesis 15. Um, God speaks to Abraham again and at this stage he's 76 And um, 76 is a little bit past Abraham's most fertile period. Okay, I think that's how we put it in church, a polite way. He's a little bit past his most fertile period and so is Sarah, his wife. But God reiterates the promise when it just doesn't seem possible. And God says, I'm gonna make you a father. And then when Abraham is 99, 99, which is definitely past his most fertile period. Even if he went to the gym regularly and exercised and, and slept in a, in a deep freeze or whatever it is that you have to do, um, he, was, he was definitely past. God says, I'm gonna give you a son. I'm gonna give you a son. And through your son, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And in fact, God says to Abraham, when he's, when he's an old man, he, he changes his name and, and he, from Abraham to Abraham. And Abraham means father of a multitude. I mean, Abraham must have thought, this is a joke. This is a joke. I'm 99. I don't, I, I, I'm going to be called father of a multitude. They're all going to laugh. It's like if we changed my name to Slim. You know, it would, it would be ridiculous. Slim Pilavachi. It doesn't really work, does it? So, Abraham, father of a multitude. And we read the story of Abraham and Sarah's obedience in Hebrews 11. And I'm gonna read you a bit and just listen to how perfect Abraham is. He's absolutely, he just obeys. It's incredible if you read the story in Hebrews 11. By faith, Verse eight, (coughs) by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, who was architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, his wife, I mean, who was past childbearing age, was enabled 
to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. What heroes Abraham and Sarah were. Did you read that in the book of Hebrews? Perfect, perfect. They didn't put a foot wrong. When I die... I want my biography to be written by the writer to the Hebrews. Because if you go to the original source, to the original story in Genesis, it wasn't like that. God said to Abraham, leave your country, leave your family, leave everyone and everything behind, just Sarah, your wife, and go to a land I will give you. And what does Abraham do? He lives everyone except Lot and Lot's servants. What the hell are you, what are you bringing him for, you twit? Did you not hear what God said? And do you know what? Lot causes him a whole load of trouble. You have to read the story. It's fascinating. And it, Lot becomes a real pain in the neck. But that doesn't stop God's promise being fulfilled. What it does is it changes how it will be fulfilled. You see, what God does is he recalculates, just like a good sat-nav. And he says, I told you to go from here to here. What are you doing there? Okay, you're there. I'm going to get you from there to there. But it's actually going to be harder. It's going to take longer. And it won't be the most pleasant route. Do you remember the people of Israel in the desert? 40 years, a journey that could have taken 11 days. He recalculates. He gets you there in the end. Then, then when Abraham is, is ancient and there's still no child, Sarah, you remember the woman of faith here? Who by faith, <laughs> she says to Abraham, look, I'll give you my maid. I'll give you my servant, Hagar. Sleep with her because it's not working with me. And Ishmael was born. And Ishmael caused, it, there was a lot of trouble because of that. And then what does God do? He recalculates. You see, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. That's what the scripture says. Doesn't depend on us. One of my mantras for the year is this. In order to come to the table of the Lord, you do not have to be worthy. You only have to be hungry. You only have to be hungry. You don't have to do it perfectly. I've talked to too many fellow believers, followers of Jesus, who have said to me, oh, I think God said, told me to do this. He said that he would do this. He said he promised that, but it hasn't happened. And it's because I messed up. It's because I, uh, I, I didn't do it right out perfectly because I, I, I made a wrong decision. Do you think God is not big enough to factor in your wrong decision in his calculation. He's bigger than that. He's bigger than that. Now that doesn't mean that we, we thrive in making wrong decisions, that, that we just sin and it doesn't matter. It makes it harder for us. It makes it harder for us. We end up having to go the long way round. We end up having to go the difficult way round. There is a cost. There was a cost to Abraham. 
But you know what? God factors all that in and he keeps his promises. That's the good news I want to share with you. He's a promise-keeping God. And we need, and if we're going to live in this, we need to know the promises. We need to, we need to absorb the promises. We need to, we need to, the, the promises of God taste delicious. They're better than a chicken shish kebab. You know, they just, just, mmm, mmm, your word. Your word is like honey to my lips. Your promises are true because you are. We follow a faithful, faithful, faithful God who is full of grace and mercy and compassion and kindness. That is who he is. We believe, we believe. That is who he is. And then there is this gap between point two, between the promise and the fulfillment. Okay, we're on point two. And the gap can take a long time. And it did for Abraham. For Abraham, it didn't happen immediately. And for others of God's saints, what, what happens in the gap? So often in the gap between the promise and the fulfillment, we give up on the promise. Again, I've talked to so many friends over the years who've said, oh, it, it didn't happen, so I'm, I'm disillusioned. So I, I, I might have heard wrong or... Or, or God isn't going to do it. He's let me down. And it's like God never lets anybody down. You just stopped trusting. And you didn't see what the purpose is in the gap. There's a purpose in the gap. Between the promise made and the promise kept, that it's often a wilderness time. And what God does in that gap is something really important because he loves us. What he does is he works on our hearts so that when he keeps his promise, it doesn't destroy us. Can you imagine if every time we asked him for something, every time he said he, we, we received his promise, we got it straight away, we would be the most arrogant people in the world and we would be the most spoiled people in the world. Now, you, you know that one of the tensions, and there are many between my colleague and I, is over his kids. Uncle Mike likes giving chocolates and giving them now. But Daddy Andy knows that when they... When, we just had it, not with chocolates, but with iPad, between the two services. Um, the, the, you know, they, they asked me for my phone. So, so I gave them my phone. Of course I would give them my phone. I'd give them my... my my, my life and I gave my phone to play and then they asked because they, they all wanted something so they asked daddy for his iPad and daddy said no no and I looked at daddy like why not you evil father do you not know how to give good gifts to your children and daddy just said it's not time for the iPad is it because we've got a rule in the house that it's between this time and this time we do that. Because I don't want you to be on the iPad all your life. I want you to be able to have conversations. And I want you to not be stuck to a screen and all of that. And so Uncle Mike immediately felt guilty for so quickly handing, which is what you did on purpose so that I would feel, I don't know your tricks. But you see, you see, God is a good God. 
And he doesn't give us stuff straight away because he knows, he knows. And I just want to look very quickly at Joseph. Joseph's the classic example of this. He got given outlandish promises as a 17-year-old. And what were the promises? Your brothers and your mum and dad will all bow down before you. Now, I defy you to find me a 17-year-old who if he was told that his whole family would be bowing before him and he'd be ruling the earth, it would not go to his head. Of course it would. Any 17-year-old, it would make him arrogant. So God makes the promise, but he means to keep the promise. So what does he do? It's 13 years from the promise to its fulfillment. And God, God wants Joseph to be blessed, not destroyed. So for the next 13 years, Joseph is sold into slavery in Egypt, 17 years old. He's in, a, he's, he's in a distant country. Then he's accused of a crime he didn't commit. He's in prison 13 years. He's, he's, he's a slave and in prison. And then after 13 years, when he's 30, suddenly he goes from the prison to the palace and becomes prime minister of Egypt. And if you look at Joseph as a young man and Joseph as a 30-year-old, it's a different Joseph. Joseph as a 30-year-old doesn't go to his head, he serves. When his brothers who sold him into slavery, who sold him into death at 17, they come begging for food. Joseph weeps and he gives them food and he has them come to live with him. And when they get frightened, he says, no, 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 don't be, don't be angry with yourselves. It wasn't you who sent me here, but God. God sent me on ahead of you so that through me you might be saved. It was God that was in charge. He learned that and, and God changed him so that the fulfillment of the promise didn't destroy him. In the gap between the promise and the fulfillment, seek his face. Let him work on your heart. You know, the same with David. He was in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16. He was anointed um, as king of Israel, as a boy. And again, again, it's amazing. In front of his brothers. I mean, the, God seems to love to anoint the youngest in front of his older brothers. It keeps happening in scripture, which I don't like because I was the oldest, you know? But anyway, we won't go into that. And, and he anoints him. And then from his anointing to his appointing, it's years. And do you know what those years were? Hiding in caves. He was a fugitive. That's the 1242. <laughs> he was a fugitive. Uh, he was hiding from Saul who wanted to kill him. Life was incredibly tough. You know, some of his psalms were written then and it was like, I, I, I'm crying myself to sleep. Where are you, God? You said this, where are you? Yet will I praise you. Yet will I trust in you. You see, there's a time between the promise and the fulfillment where God works on us. And thirdly and finally, in that time, that's the time to hold on to the promises to remind ourselves 
to live in them. When everything around us can come across negative. When everything around us, circumstances, other people, all of, all of, all of that stuff, it can seem so bleak. And for, and for the church of Jesus right now, you know, um, things are dodgy in the world. Um, it, it, it's a bit like Satan has, has loosened stuff um, and there's all sorts of things. And suddenly, um, it's, it, it's actually a possibility that there could be uh, a, even a wider war in Europe. And that can be frightening. And we've lived in comfort for quite a while. And suddenly, it's, oh my goodness. And the church in the West um, is, is not doing fantastic all the time. Actually, in the rest of the world, the church is doing amazing. The rest of the world, it's like you go to other places, and especially the places where there's persecution. I mean, the church in Iran is, is motoring. If, I don't know if you, you know, but amazing things are happening. Whenever I go to Brazil, we've got some Bra- Brazilian friends here, and I go to Brazil, and, and it's like the atmosphere's different. And it's like there's this, this smell of revival. And it's, like, and it's like when I go to this city called Vitoria, um, it's almost like every other person knows Jesus now. Um, and, and it doesn't mean everything's perfect, but, but here we can get so negative and we need to look up and we need to keep the promise in our hearts and then we need to pray for the fulfillment of the promises. That's an act of faith. And Jesus says, all over the flipping place, all over. You know, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. I will do whatever you ask in my name. He says it again and again and again. It's a promise he repeats. And what we need to do is keep knocking on the door of heaven, to keep knocking on the door of heaven. I just want, as I come into land, Uh, to read this one line uh, from Hebrews 10, the chapter before Hebrews 11. Um, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold unswervingly to the faith we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Now, it's slightly easier for me to preach on this now than it would have been 40 years ago. Because as an old man, I've now seen God keep his promises to me again and again and again. And I know he's faithful. But it wasn't always immediate. I became a Christian two months before my 16th birthday. The day I gave my life to Jesus, all I wanted to do was this. I couldn't have explained it. I, all I knew was missionaries. So I said, I want to be a missionary. All I wanted to do was to serve him and to tell others about him. And you know, that didn't, I was an accountant until I was 29. I ended up in a job that I was uniquely and supremely completely not adequate for. 
I was the most useless accountant you could ever flipping imagine. And it was like, I remember in my 20s, no door would open. And I knew enough not to try and break doors down and there were circumstances. But I remember I was doing a job I didn't know, I wasn't good at. And I was doing a job that I, I didn't like. And it was like, I remember I, I would say to the Lord, Lord, these are the best years of my life, my 20s. You're wasting the best years of my life. What's gonna happen? I could have given you these years. And you know what? I ended up at 29 at St. Andrew's Chorley Wood, never thinking they'd offer me a job. But I went there because I was broken and I heard they prayed for healing. And then David and Mary Pitches, the vicar and his wife, asked me if I'd give up my job and be the youth pastor of the church. I nearly fell off my seat. But you know, now looking back, if that had happened when I was 16 or 20, I would have messed it up even more than I messed it up now. I would have done, because I was immature and I needed my issues, certain issues to be resolved. And God knew what he was doing and he wasn't wasting my best years. He was preparing me. He was marinating me. He was cooking me slowly so that I would be a lot more ready for when the time came. And you know, there are lots of things that I prayed for years and years ago that I have seen him fulfill. I have seen him answer. There are a few things that I haven't seen yet. But I'm not giving up. And I'm going to continue to knock on the door. And I'm continue to trust in his goodness. And I want to finish with the words of, I think it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, they said, if you put us in this flame, in this fire pit, what they call, what's it called? In this furnace, <laughs> in this furnace, God will rescue us from the furnace. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we're not bowing the knee to you. It's possible there may be some things that will be fulfilled when I see him face to face. What a glorious day that will be. But in the meantime, he is faithful. He can be trusted as individuals and as a church family. Let's resolve to do that. Let's encourage one another to fall on him, our rock, our rock. Amen.